Well, for those of you who were with us last week, here's some good news. I'm not going to cry once during this sermon. I blubbered through that whole thing last week. I'm just so sentimental. Um, So let me tell you what we're doing today. Um, We're in this series on seeing the kingdom because God wants to give us the capability to see him in every circumstance to hear him in every conversation. But that takes retraining our brain. And so we have been in this curriculum study that is populated with groups uh, that help us get there. And we've had these different um, 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 lessons on the kingdom is. And, and, and this, this lesson is about relationships. And so I thought, I can't just be one guy up here talking to you. We need at least two guys. I need a guy with a, I have a relationship with. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of tag team the sermon. Um, this is Chad, and Chad is um, the director of distributing the church. So he's a pretty big deal around here. Um, Northland, a church distributed. Northland, a church distributed. That's the guy right there. And, 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 and what's cool is this his generation kind of lives in, in my generation kind of lived in categories. Um, his generation really lives um, a lot more, have a lot more affinity for networking and for living in, um, in relationships. And so here's what we want to do today. We're going to take some scripture and Chad's going to exegete that, give you examples of the, of the text and the tone of that scripture. And then I'll be back and help you apply it. Because uh, that's what I do pretty well. Okay, Chad, come on. Come on now. All right. So what does it look like for a community of people to see the kingdom together? We've been looking week after week at, okay, how do we see God uh, in the midst of our everyday lives? And this week we're going to kind of widen that scope out a little bit and talk about, well, what does it look like when a community of us begins seeing the kingdom together? And we get this great picture of that, actually in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, and that's where we're going we're gonna to dig in today. Luke, the author of Acts, is, is first getting us to this story. The story is moving at this just super fast clip. I mean, right here at the beginning, we've got Jesus appearing and spending time with the disciples in his resurrected body. Then the ascension happens. Then the Holy Spirit comes down. Peter then stands up, proclaims the gospel. 3,000 people give their lives to Christ, and we're not even through with chapter 2 yet. I mean, you know, it's just moving along. And then Luke gives us this little window, this little slowdown. Because he wants to make sure we spot what's happening. He says, hey, okay, now let me make sure you see what happens in the lives of these believers. And that's where we get. And the story is going to pick back up in chapter 3 and just take off again. But we get this little window. And so let's look at it together. Verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching about the way of Jesus and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as any might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple 
and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an extraordinary picture of this newborn church living out this faith together. It's just captured the imaginations of, of preachers, you know, since it was written. You know, if we're talking about the church, this is the text that we talk from. And it's a great story. It's a story about 24-7 kinds of devotion to following Jesus. It's a story where there's prayer happening. Transformation is happening. Generosity is happening. People are being added to this community day by day. And it's amazing. I mean, there absolutely is a personal dimension to what's happening in this story as lives are being transformed. But I want us actually to read it again. We're going to read it again because in our context... United States or, or wherever we are that are streaming in in a Western context, we might miss a component because there's not just a personal dimension that's happening here. There is also a social dimension to what's going on. And so actually, if you have your worship guide, take that out. And on the inside of it, you're going to see this text. And if you brought a pen or a pencil, I want to encourage you, we're going to circle each time we see a keyword that would indicate a social dimension to what's happening here. All right, And I'll kind of read along, and when we get there, um, you, you, we can shout them out together. All right? So here we go, verse 42. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Yeah, the word there is koinonia. It's not like fellowship, you know, like when we did the meet and greet right there. You know, that's great, but this is life together, the common life, right? To fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many signs and wonders were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all, as any might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals Together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And day by day, the Lord was adding to their number uh, those who were being saved. It's an extraordinary picture of not only personal transformation, but this social dimension that's happening as these people are seeing the kingdom together and living that out. Let me ask you a tough question. If someone were to to slow down and write a story as a window into our life together of following Jesus, is this what we would sound like? Now don't hear this in guilt because there are some extraordinary things that would be in our story. There would be people giving their lives to Jesus. There would be worship of God. We would hear stories of prayer, people reading their scriptures, devoting their lives to the apostles' teaching. We would hear stories of generosity. We would hear stories of people with good character. But I suspect that our story wouldn't have the degree of the social dimension. It wouldn't have the degree of together, together, together that this story does. We tend to follow Jesus in parallel. I'm following Jesus, and you're following Jesus, and you're following Jesus. But what's happening here is this turn, and they're following Jesus together. And I think that, of course, begs the question, 
Well, why? I mean, why is it different for them than for us? And certainly there is a dimension you could easily say, well, you know, you're talking about the first century here, you know, and we're in the 21st century, you know, and that would be right. You could cite differences of education. You could cite differences of technology. You could cite, well, they lived in an agrarian culture where actually bartering and and life, they were dependent upon one another. We live in a culture with Amazon Prime. Right, you know, so we don't, we're not having to barter with each other, right? We live in a, with iPhones and whatnot. And all that would be true. That, that all would be true and accurate. But I think there's a layer underneath all of that that actually would be the key to our difference. And that is, I think that they operated with a different understanding of the gospel than we do. Now, it isn't that our understanding of the gospel is wrong. I believe it's that our understanding of the gospel is incomplete, And to capture, for us to capture the kind of magic that we find in this story, I think we've got to begin to dive back into the foundation of our faith, the gospel, and begin to understand it in the way that they do. Mandy and I, um, we we, uh, decided for Christmas that we were going to give our kids uh, tickets to Universal Studios. And they'd been asking, they're 14, 12, and 9. And they were just saying, come on, let's, we want to go to Universal Studios. And so um, we decided, okay, we'll do it. You know, we're going we're gonna to get them the tickets. We didn't tell them. And uh, we went online on Christmas Eve and we bought the tickets, you know, and it was time. We wrapped them up and then we realized, whew, this is their big gift uh, for sure. You know, they will be opening this one last and, uh, and so we did it. You know, we were excited. So we got the tickets. We printed them off. We put them in a box. We wrapped it up. We put it under the tree. And we were pretty excited for them to, to see this and to open it. And then there was this funny, one funny moment where we get to the end. And uh, all the presents, you know, and there's kind of, they know the big last gift is coming. And then there's just one box under the tree. And they were kind of like, all right, which one of us is your favorite? Like, who gets, who gets the extra present, you know? And we were like, no, 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 it's for all of you guys. And so we, we pulled it out, and we had them gather around. And, you know, they tore together into the, into the paper, and they pulled it out. And Mandy was right there with the camera. She's good with the camera. And boom, she snapped a photo, and this is, this is the moment that we captured. We looked at each other. We were like, yeah. I mean, you know, my son, Charlie's going, yes. You know, and Mandy and I were doing the same thing. Parents, is that not what you're going for, right? When you give a, when you give a Christmas present. Mandy and I go, we won Christmas. You know, <laughs> we did it. We did it. We won Christmas. Now, there's a moment that happens right after this photo is captured, right? So they're all looking at the tickets. They're all really excited. And then every one of those faces together immediately turns and swings to me and Mandy with a question. You know what this question is. What is it? When are we going? Yeah, absolutely. And in their mind, it's like our plan has worked to perfection. We got you up before dawn. So that we could open our presents and now you've given us this, these tickets to Universal Studios. We'll throw some clothes on, Christmas at Universal, like done, you know. Yes, you know, we'll spend the whole day there. Now, let me ask you a question. What would it have been, how strange would it have been for us to say to them, oh no, no you don't understand. The gift isn't the going to Universal. The gift is the tickets, The gift is getting to live your life knowing that one day you will get to go to Universal. You're welcome. 
We would do that. We would think this is a strange gift. This is a strange gift. But in many ways, that is exactly how we understand the gospel. We understand the gospel. Your sins are forgiven. You have a ticket to heaven. And one day you will get to go into, enter into the full good news of the gospel into heaven. That's how we understand it. And if that's the case, then that's kind of a pass-fail moment, right? Then all of this discipleship stuff, all of this Christian community and life together, and all of a sudden it's kind of extra credit, right? Like the test is, do you know where you're going when you die? And that is an important question, but that's kind of pass-fail, you know? And then the rest is just bonus and extra credit. But in this verse that we're looking at, it doesn't seem to be the case. There seems to be an understanding of the gospel that's deeper than that. Which begs the question, what is the gospel that Jesus proclaimed? When he was walking around, what was the gospel that came out of Jesus' mouth? I remember the first time somebody asked me that question, I went, oh, I don't, I don't think he did. Did he say the gospel? Did he do it? Like, I don't think he did. I mean, his life was the gospel, but did he actually say the gospel? And so let's look at it, because he does. Mark chapter 1, right here in the beginning. This is in the Synoptic Gospels. This story is told actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But this Mark's kind of the easiest one to grasp. So Mark 1, 14 to 15. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. So what's he saying? The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning it's near. It has come near. It's within reach. Repent. And believe in the gospel. Repent and believe that the kingdom of God has come near. And then later, as, as Jesus is going around from, you know, from town to town and he's, he's kind of compressing his message into this core message, he's going to say it again. Luke chapter 8, soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. That it has come near. And then he's going to send his disciples out. He's going to ask them to, to go tell the people. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, we see this. And he called the twelve together. It's awesome. He gives them superpowers. He called the twelve together and he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the kingdom of God, that it has come near. And to perform healing, to demonstrate that kingdom by performing healing. Unless we think, well, that's just Jesus hadn't died yet. And so then after he dies in the resurrection, then the gospel's different. Then it's about him. Let's check Acts 1-3. Jesus is talking to him again. To these he also presented himself alive, to these disciples, after his suffering. By many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of of God. Over and over and over we see the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming is that the kingdom of God has come near. Jesus is not proclaiming simply a ticket to heaven when you die. Now listen, and this is very important. Forgiveness of sins by grace alone through faith alone is absolutely a part of the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming. It's absolutely in there. As is the fact that death, through Christ's death and resurrection, that death has, does not get the last word on your life. 
In fact, that you get to spend eternity with God. That's absolutely a part of it. But it's not a one-day reality. That's a right-now reality. Jesus is proclaiming that for here and now. It's got a social dimension. It's even got a societal dimension. The kingdom of God is at hand. So Scott McKnight is a, is a really great uh, thinker and writer, uh, seminary professor, and he, he says it this way, the kingdom of God in short compass is the society in which the will of God is established to transform all of life. The kingdom of God is more than what God is doing within you and more than God's personal dynamic presence. It is what God is doing in this world through the community of faith for the redemptive plans of God, including what God is doing in you and me. It transforms relationship with God, with self, with others, and with the world. And so when we find throughout the New Testament these writers continually coming back to this idea of the kingdom of God, they're talking about a present reality. Let's take a look at Romans 14, 17, where Paul just gives us kind of this great little capsule that we can take a look into here. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul's actually proclaiming the gospel here. The kingdom of God is not about rules and regulations. It's a community of people where looking out for one another reigns supreme, where love is the guide for all of what's happening, and where actually justice is is working itself out, where everybody's got something to eat. It's a community that's not just not at war. It's a community where there's not gossip, where there's not backbiting, where people are encouraging each other and and building one another up. It's an environment where joy and laughter mark this community of people because they know that their sins are forgiven because they know they get to spend eternity with God and they are living that out together. That's a kind of people, that's a community of people I would want to be a part of. Don't you? That's the gospel. That's an extraordinary gospel. Let me illustrate it for you in this other way. There is a a day in our culture that many, if not most of us, look forward to. We have whole industries that support it. We teach young people the merits of, of planning and thinking about it. We, we help, you know, the, the older folks live it out. You know, there's this day that's kind of marked loosely on many of our calendars out into the future. What is that day? Retirement. Yeah. Now, not everybody's excited about it. You know, this, this guy's not looking forward to it at all. Um, but, but for many of us, there's this, there's this day of retirement that is marked out as, oh man, this is going to be great. Now, imagine if somebody walked in here and said, excuse me, Chad, excuse me, Pastor Joel, I've got a big announcement, right? Everyone, the day of your retirement is here. Repent of your jobs and be saved. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, that would be extraordinary news. Those of you that have worked long and hard, saving a little bit here and there along the way, come on in. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. Those of you that are nearing old age and you think, I'm not sure how much longer I can work, but I don't have enough saved. Come on in. 
Those of you that don't have a job, come on in. Those of you that are young and you think, yeah, but this is going to cost a lot because it's really far away, come on in. Everybody, take out your phones, check your retirement accounts. There is enough in there. That would change not just our future, that would change where we went to lunch. We would be like, oh my goodness, we would descend upon the Golden Corral, right? I mean, we would take the place over. We would be the people of the retirement, you know? We would be like, yes, yes, out of here. We, we got, you know, we got this. Actually, no, not out of here. Come back because we've got enough. You need some too. Come join us. That is the picture of the gospel, that we're getting. That's a totally different, those of you online at retirement communities, that's a totally different retirement community. I mean, it gives a total different picture. That is the gospel that Jesus is proclaiming. Your sins are forgiven. Death does not get the last word on your life. Come into the kingdom of God now. It's extraordinary good news. And we get to see that and live that out together. How we understand the gospel shapes what we look like as a gospel-shaped community. And if we think the gospel is a ticket to heaven when we die, then all this other stuff, this coming to church, this worship, this discipleship, it's good, it's helpful, it'll give you a better life, but it's really just extra credit. But if the gospel is true that the kingdom of God has come near, then following Jesus now, then this group of people, us here together, we're a part of the gospel. And so, that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 2. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in that kind of community. So the question is, how do we get there? And if you squint a little bit, you know, maybe block that bit of skepticism that causes you to go, is that really possible? Then maybe we can step in. But the question is, how in our context? So, Pastor Joel, you tell us that. I'm going to help you squint. Yeah, that was awesome. Just awesome. Chad says the gospel shapes community. But I'm going to tell you something you already know. The kind of community that you belong to also shapes your ability to see and to live out the gospel. So therefore, we need to be intentional about how we build our communities. And I'm going to give you three application points this morning. Three things to remember as you're thinking about belonging in relationships that will sharpen your vision to see the kingdom of heaven that is among you. Here's the first one, and it's a negative. And sometimes to get to the positive, you got to go first to the negative. There's only so many relationships you can have. Not all relationships will help you see God. Not all relationships will help you focus on the spiritual aspects of your life. So here's the first principle. Trust God with those you can't reach. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. There are people in your life who are irritating. And when they're around, all you can think of is how irritated you are. And you get all caught up in the flesh. Now, you don't 
wish them ill. You don't, you don't um, um, hope, you don't you know, think in your mind, how can I take this person down and so on and so forth. Um, you you want to forgive them. You, wanna, you, you would fix it if you knew how, but you've tried before and you're just, you're just not getting there. And for some reason, many Western Christians think, when you talk about building a righteous community, first thing you think about is, oh, I've got to go to my worst enemy and make a good with them, or I can't make a good with that. No, you don't. No, you don't. You got to trust God with those people. It doesn't mean they're not Christian. It just means you don't build your core team with just anybody. Let me, let me give you an example. Paul and Barnabas, remember those two? They both loved Jesus. They both loved Jesus. But they had such a spat. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15, Verses 39 through 40. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. Sometimes division is multiplication. Sometimes, not only, I, I'm, I'm giving you a get out of jail card here. You understand? This is, this is the truth. It doesn't mean you love the Lord any less if you decide that, that working with this person will keep me more captive to the flesh than focused on the spirit. You know, there's a, there's a historic Christian discipline called fasting. We're coming up on Lent. Many of us will give up certain things for Lent because giving them up will help us focus better on God. They will, it will help us uh, turn our attention toward God more often. Do you know there's such a thing not only as, as, as food fasting, but there's such a thing as emotional fasting. Sometimes you just need to separate yourself from somebody who gets you back in the same pattern where you're all caught up in your own emotions and you're thinking about every kind of, of, of relational entrapment. You're living that out instead of really focusing on the Lord. So the first thing I want to tell you, say to you, and I can say this after living a long life, it's okay that you choose people who help you focus on the Lord and you draw boundaries or some distance from those people who don't. Here's the second principle. Build deeper Christ-seeking relationships with those who are close to you. There are some people who help you see God. There are some people who you would love to see God with together. And you want to be the one who says, let's look at Jesus together. Let's be on the same path. And help each other see Jesus together. That's what we need. Jesus put it like this in Matthew chapter 1 verse 20. He said, look, where two or three of you have gathered together in my name. What, is it, what does in my name mean? It means you both have the same Lord. You both have the same journey, the same spirit, the same seeking. In my name. I am there in their midst. That's the church. That's the church. 
And so we've got, to, we've got to understand that in order to get there, we have to exercise some discipline and some, and some, and, and I was in a, uh, a uh, oh, they're not there. They were there last week, our last service. A few of us gathered with uh, Pastor Pete, our newest pastor, and his, and his wife, Lauren, uh, for supper a couple of nights ago. And, and we were just having a great conversation and so on and so forth. And Lauren is a really smart uh, um, uh, woman. We all married really smart women, way smarter than we are. And, and so it really laid, it, it raises the level of conversation when we're together. And she was telling us about a book that she's reading called Deep Work. Now, this is the second book of this kind that I've read in a couple of months. This is by Cal um, Newton. Um, and, and it's about deliberate practice. I want you to hear deliberate practice. That is, not all general practice is, is helpful, you know. But if you, if you focus, the, 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 the subtitle of this book is How to Live a Folk, Focused Life in a, Distractive, a Distractable World or something like that. We live in a distractible world. We've always got our cell phones on. It's always buzzing. We're always doing this. We're doing this while we're eating. What, and we're watching TV while we're doing this. Well, I mean, we're, it, you know, we're living this, in this world. It's squirrel. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> we're so distractible. And, and, and the theme of this book is unless you, unless you focus, which takes deliberate practice, you will not be fulfilled. You will not be satisfied with what you do in your life. You will fritter it away. And so he talks about our brains are literally rewirable. You know, the neural pathways, when we do something over and over again, then then our brains adapt to that. It creates a new neural pathway. There is... um, there, there are these five, when you, when you, when you keep focused and you have voices around you, see, this is the key. I have certain people in my life. Every time I'm with them, I learn something new about Jesus. Or there are other people who are, 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 are groups gathered ad hoc. When we did these materials that we're going through right now, we did them on a group basis. And every time I was in that group, I learned a new perspective on Jesus. That's what, the, when, we, when they opened their mouth, I thought, huh, I never thought about that before. And so they helped me, watch this, create these neural pathways. There's, there are these, these nerves called um, oligodendrocytes. And, and when these things fire enough times, your brain will begin to surround that pathway, those nerves, with myelin. It's a, it's a fatty um, um, tissue that kind of insulates them and increases the, 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 um, um, the, the focus and the firing um, 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 and the effectiveness of that neural pathway, you see? And so when we're around people who help us focus on Jesus, then our brains will become rewired so that we can see him more often. So... Build a, deep, uh, build a, uh, a, a deeper Christ-seeking relationship with those around you. Now, here's the third one, and, I, and I'll do this as fast as I can. Build new God-honoring relationships with outsiders. 
a compliment to, to hang around people you do, you do like to hang around who will teach you more about Jesus and you can focus together. A compliment to that is going into a relationship that you're not sure how that's going to turn out. But the Lord said to do it, so you're in. I mean, the Lord said, go ye into all the world. And the, and the implication is there, you're not going to know those people. But make disciples. In other words, bring up God and watch what I do. You remember one of my favorite uh, uh, passages is Luke chapter 5, where Jesus is, is teaching from a boat. He's using the water as a natural amplification system. And after he gets done, he turns to the fishermen and he says, push out, let's go fishing. Well, they'd already fished all night. They hadn't caught a thing. So they don't think he knows what he's talking about when it comes to go fishing, but, but he's the Lord. And so this is the response. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. And so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And and they came and filled both of the boats. I want you to know that even when you have your doubts, God is at work to bring forth something that you didn't expect. When you obey God in bringing God up in whatever conversation, even if you think it's going to fail, with people you don't normally talk to. Let me give you an example. We had a, we had a, a, a group from China come in this week. I didn't tell the press because I didn't want um, them um, overlaying conflict where there was none. But we've been curious as about what's going on in China uh, and what looks like repression about, uh, of the church. And, 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 and they were curious about our recent elections. And so... They sent a delegation, um, and let me tell you, and it was in their press, um, um, but this, is a, this was a big deal. Um, the head of all of the Protestant churches in China, Elder Fu, is a friend of mine. He's a friend of Northland. He's been here before, years ago, probably 10 years ago now. And so he brought many Christian leaders with him. He also brought with him the, um, the government... Um, uh, leaders in the state administration for religious affairs. All of them are atheists. All of them are communists. And they came. And, and we had a very open discussion. And it was, it was a wonderful time. And can I just say to you, I cannot possibly tell you what a great love I had for these government, government, government officials when they walked in the room. My heart just just yearned for them uh, to, to know the love that God has for them, the love that I have for them. So anyhow, in the midst of all of this, this one jurist stood up. She's an attorney. She's brilliant. She's so respected in China. And she asked me a question. She's a Christian. She asked me a question. And, and, and it was very detailed. And I, I, on my best days, I can only get about three brain cells firing at the same time. So, so anytime somebody asks me something really complicated, it, it, it's, it's hard enough. But when you have a really heavy Chinese accent, yikes. So this is all I heard of her question. 
would you help the communist government? That's all I heard. And so I'm just, I'm doing backpedaling. I'm going, well, you know, evangelical Christians, you know, we're not, we don't, we don't pay attention to governments. We care, we care for people and we want people to know the love of God. And we want to serve like Jesus and, you know, so on and so forth. Afterwards, she explained to me slowly and, 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 and personally what she was asking. The, the Chinese government has come to her, the communist government, and said, would you help us craft our laws? Because they're making more laws. We're trying to get regulations out of the way. They're making more laws. They're going the opposite direction. And the first time they came, she said, no, I'm a Christian. You don't want me. They came back. She said, no, I'm a Christian. You don't want me. So when she was asking, would you help the Chinese or the communist government? She was really asking, if you were me, would you help the communist government? The third time they come back, she begins to get this image in her mind. Wait a minute. I'm thinking of Joseph in Pharaoh's household. I'm thinking of Daniel in Nebuchadnezzar's household. I'm thinking of the saints in Caesar's household. You understand? Getting in those outside conversations is exactly part of what God wants us to do, and it will build attention on God like practically nothing else. And so those are the three points I want us to remember when it comes to building the kind of community that God wants us to have in order to focus on him. So we've got some more brain training stuff for you coming. And I, and I want Chad to come back right now and tell you about where we're going next with the material that will rewire our brain to see and hear God. So... So we've got a real specific application or opportunity for you to put into practice what what Pastor Joel just taught. Uh, We're we're hearing really great stories from from people that are doing this Seeing the Kingdom study. Uh, We heard a story of a high school student that set up a group for other high school students on Xbox Live. And they log in. He's got about eight different people that log in and they walk through uh, seeing the kingdom on Xbox Live. I mean, very cool. And we've heard, we've heard a story of um, a lady that said, I've been a part of Northland for six years and I've just never really plugged into a group. And I decided to, to take a chance and, and got plugged in. And it's been great. And, and she was actually a part of a group I was a part of. And it's been so cool to watch that happen. We've also heard some stories of people that said, ah, I didn't do the group thing, but I did get the study. And in fact, it's the first Bible study I've ever done. And I'm really, I feel like I'm really am, I'm growing in my relationship with Christ as, as a result of that. And so we're seeing great um, and hearing great stories of people that are, that are growing closer. They are seeing the kingdom. They're taking a step into this gospel kind of community. And so we've got another opportunity to do that. In two weeks, Lent starts. And Lent is the season of preparation that takes us up to Easter. And we want to invite you to grow deeper this Easter by re-examining the foundations of your faith from a kingdom perspective. And so in two weeks, there's a new preaching series and that will start. And we've got another accompanying study for you called Kingdom Come. 
Uh, it'll start on March 4th. And just like last time, uh, the idea here is there's a, there's a video series and a, and a guide uh, that Pastor Joel and I actually created together this time. And it's a six-week series. We're going to begin to really examine the foundations of our faith. It, we're going to talk about more about the gospel. We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the Bible and the scriptures. We're going to talk about the church and the sacraments and the Holy Spirit and all the things that God has done to actually equip us to live in his kingdom now so that we can have his kingdom come on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. And so just like last time, it's a simple process. Get the materials, find a person in that second category, somebody that you want to gather with in Jesus' name. And begin to work through those materials together and start growing together. Start watching what God has done. For those of you that that were in the Seeing the Kingdom study, this is great. You guys can just keep right on going. If you didn't sign up and you're thinking, oh man, I kind of missed it. I wish I had now. Here you go. Here's an opportunity. You can just go online, sign up. Uh, northlandchurch.net slash kingdom come and we'll email you the materials as soon as they're ready in a couple weeks you're going to find them in the foyer and it's an opportunity to watch the way that God works as we then follow him together in this and become this kingdom shaped community so it's a real simple way even a tool that we created to help you apply this idea of stepping into this kind of gospel